0: There is a difference between pain and suffering. And in our culture, we don't always make a distinction between the Mm -hmm. two.
1: Coming to the peace and acceptance of this is what it is. It's who I am. Some people are afraid to be okay with that.
0: I got a story about that for you.
1: I'm just
0: dying to give you just the one example.
1: Our whole conversation
0: about pain and suffering and allowing... I think the emotion of anger
1: makes this really obvious. Do you think most neurodivergent folks are able to assess what's really happening in that moment?
0: I've noticed that because of the intense masking that so many neurodiverse people do is they recognize exactly what's expected. They feel a great deal of discomfort in needing to provide this thing that doesn't
1: feel true for them. This is season three of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship Podcast, which is for adults in all kinds of neurodiverse relationships, not just romantic partnerships. I'm your host, Jody Carlton, and I've spent close to two decades growing in my understanding of how our different brains influence the way we understand and relate to each other. Through the years, I've helped several thousand people understand themselves and their loved ones this podcast is a place where I come together with others to talk about their journeys. I've got a great lineup of guests talking about things like masking, traits of neurodivergent folks, traits of neurotypical folks, what kind of things cause difficulties in our neurodiverse relationships, but also some of the wonderful things about our neurodiverse relationships. Also, this season is a video cast where you can enjoy watching on YouTube, Or you can listen to us on the podcast like you have before. If you're really enjoying this podcast and if you've gotten something out of it, please leave us a review because reviews really matter. And we want to get this out there to as many people as possible so they can benefit from it just like you. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe so you'll get notifications of upcoming podcasts and other videos that I post there as well. Welcome. What will we talk about today? Today's part two of my podcast episode with Christy Ellis, who is the founder of Phoenix Story Coaching. She's also a neurodivergent wife. And if you missed part one, be sure and go back and listen to it. We just kind of dove straight into chit-chatting. Tell us more a little about you and what you do the businesses sure. that you have.
0: I've grown five businesses. I currently am a managing partner in four of those businesses. And the one that really is closest to my heart is my coaching business. It mm-hmm. is the youngest of all my businesses. And the reason that I started it was because I realized that other people needed all the things that I had learned for myself that I never intended to become a business. Um, that was born actually out of the cancer experience that I mentioned. When a loved one was diagnosed with cancer, no one in my family had ever had cancer. I had never been close to anyone who had it. And so I found myself in support groups looking for, how do I do this? Like, how do I try to help him eat? How do I make it take, how do I do these things? Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was while I needed a great deal of support in those areas, Most of the people in these groups needed support with what was going on in their minds. That's Mm -hmm. what I understood and was good Mm -hmm. at. And I had worked with a coach for a number of years for myself. I started working with her during this experience again because I needed additional support for what was going on in my brain. And I let her know I said, if there's any good thing to come out of this, I'm having the most amazing time helping caregivers helping cancer patients be okay with whatever is going on. I know Mm -hmm. that's a weird thing to say, but yeah, okay, no matter what their circumstance was. She said to me, I've always thought if you ever got tired of all the other stuff you're doing, you're probably the most natural coach I've ever met. It was like I was struck by lightning. I remember where I was Mm -hmm. in our car I spent 12 hours a day in the parking lot at Memorial Sloan Kettering, waiting for my loved one during his treatments. And I made a decision right then and there to go back to school to get my coaching certification. And and that was it. I was off to the races. And mm. now I can't imagine that there will ever be a time I don't do this. I hope to be doing this when I'm 88 years old because... It really is, I feel, my purpose in the world to help people through the science of positive psychology for what works for them. Yeah. I think where my practice is perhaps a little different is I have a background as a management consultant. And so if there's any place where I feel positive psychology is lacking, It's because all of us know great things that we should be doing, great habits we should have, great things we should do, we should exercise more, we should do this, we should do that. And we aren't doing it. Mm
1: -hmm. And so it doesn't really
0: matter if you know all these great strategies, if you don't know how to actually embed them in your life and make them a part of who you are and what you do. Mm -hmm. So with a management consultant change management background, I feel like that's probably the difference that I bring is I start out by helping people understand habits, how to create them, look at the ones we have already that we don't like and figure out how to create that so that as we then work on great strategies, they're going to stick around. They won't just be um,
1: one ear and out the other. The communication model that I have for couples is very much similar to what you're saying. Uh, Having the information, knowing what needs to happen, doesn't tell people they don't know how to do it, how to actually make those changes. It's a matter of breaking things down, like unpacking it down to the yeah. little nitty bits. And Because when people have a plan, but then they repeatedly don't implement it, there's yeah. a reason why. It's important to really unpack all of that. Yeah. I see this in relationships. People have intentions. They want to communicate better. They want to connect, but then they know that there are certain things that they need to do, but they don't know how to do it. So we have to unpack it and figure out, okay, where is this going wrong? Where are we going? Those things are so important. But I also want to go back to another thing you said with working with the cancer patients and being okay. I think that's such an important message because I I told you I worked With people with brain injuries in the beginning, back in the year 2000, that was such a huge thing for them. A lot of them were like, there was me part one and me part two. Coming to the peace and acceptance of this is what it is. It's who I am. Some people are afraid to be okay with that.
0: I got a story about that for you. When my loved one was diagnosed with cancer, I swear to you, this was my very first thought. As crazy as this sounds, my thought was... My life has prepared me for this. I think the reason that I had that thought was a lot of it was I'm also certified in mindfulness-based stress reduction. So I have this perspective. I have a positive psychology perspective. But it's also based on the life experience that I have. And I was, I believe, 32 years old. I was getting progressively more sick and nobody knew what was going on. I continued to go to doctors that were telling me they're kind of shrugging their shoulders. I had one migraine that lasted for five months straight. So not many migraines, not daily, but one that just did not go away. When I started getting really frightened was when I developed dementia. Hmm. And for someone who really had a self-identity based in my intellect, I cannot imagine a more frightening thing to happen than to suddenly realize that your brain is not something that you can depend on. And I was in an incredible amount of pain. I couldn't find my way home from work. And I had this period where we didn't know what was going on. And it was very challenging for me to communicate to my husband the severity and where my head was at, I got to a place where I sat him down and what I told him was this I think I have a year for one year I can work to find a solution for this but if I get to the year mark and I am still in this much pain and if I lose even more of myself then we're going to have to move someplace with assisted suicide because I can't live this way for the next however many years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are horrified to hear that. But it is such a gift to me today Mm -hmm. because I don't think that there are many 32-year-olds who have had to ask themselves questions like, who am I? Who am I if I'm not my brain? What is the value of my life? What is the quality of my life? What kind of life do I want to live? Mm -hmm. I had to ask myself a lot of very important, but often unasked questions, even though I have recovered from it. I actually think a lot of my sensory processing issues are left over, but to be able to look at my own life and know it could potentially end very soon has been such a tremendous gift to me in getting really aligned with my purpose in the world in not being fearful to look at things like life. Mm -hmm. This is just something I'm renting that I'm in right now. (laughs) I think that by the time that my loved one had his diagnosis, I had no fears. I was unafraid of anything that he could go through or that I might go through with him. And it's been such a tremendous gift to me, both in my personal life, but also I think it's why my coaching practice grew so quickly, because my clients saw that there was nothing they couldn't bring to me. I didn't need to push anything away because I wasn't afraid of what they were going through because I knew that we were going to be okay.
1: Wow. That is such a powerful story. And oh, wow. I just get chills listening to that because... I think one of the most profound, I guess is the word, reasons why coaching works in a way that counseling does not is because most coaches are doing what they're doing because they've lived through what so many of their clients are also living. I know for me, when you said my life has prepared me for this, I can relate to that too because I felt like. Even what I'm doing now, it's like everything I had done up to a certain point, really, when my daughter was born, it's like I already knew all this stuff about the brain. And that was like, oh, I know this. Even when I do YouTube videos and where I interact with people, or mm-hmm. when they hear about my own struggles and even my yeah. like failures, it's like you said, I'll share some times that I epic fail as yeah. a parent, as a partner. And it's so helpful, I think, to people to not feel so alone. Absolutely. I
0: think my TikTok video that had the highest number of views, it was like, I don't know, 50,000 views or something. It was really shocking to me because I do not have a large TikTok account. The video was me saying, how does a life coach deal with unprocessed trauma? Let's talk about it. (laughs) Because it was coming up for me and people were happy to hear that I was saying, hey, all these positive psychology strategies that I teach, like all these wonderful things that we know are really effective, guess what? Sometimes that's not what you need. Sometimes you need to eat the extra piece of cake. And sometimes you need to not go to work and just stay in bed. And sometimes you need to go to a parking lot and scream in your car. Mm -hmm. And that can be self-care too, because Mm -hmm. if you are using these strategies to like stomp on your own head and tell yourself even more things you're not doing right this Mm -hmm. isn't a time for you to incorporate this you need to get to a place where you are healed where you Mm -hmm. are more stable
1: focus on that adding to what you said about those days those moments I think it's important to also give ourselves uh, ourselves grace when and when we don't have A shining moment. We're all going to have days and moments where we don't use our own tools. We don't use what we've learned for lots of different reasons. And it's okay. (laughs) There is a difference between
0: pain and suffering. And in our culture, we don't always make a distinction between the Mm -hmm. two. And Mm -hmm. I I believe it's important that people can recognize that pain is something that's going to happen to everybody. You will lose somebody that you love. If you've ever loved anybody, you're going to lose them because everybody dies. So that's going to happen one day. Whatever the things are, pain is going to happen. But suffering is different. And suffering is what happens when we're fighting with reality. Yeah, It's when I want nobody to ever die. I don't want to feel
1: the pain. So I'm trying to make it go. I'm
0: pushing against it. And I create the experience of suffering. Instead of allowing for the experience of pain to be with me, to move through me, and mm-hmm. to have ease and grace and know that it's okay, it's going to move yeah. through.
1: And gets you to that stable point where right. you can assess your pain and yes. determine is this something within my control or not? Right. It's not what isn't within my right. control. And, I can't and control what's happening. I love the very
0: simple question, just what do I want? Because I think a lot of times we are all horrible at knowing what we want. One of my examples I like to give in classes is I just ask how many people have had the experience of getting to the end of the day and realizing that they didn't go to the bathroom, they didn't stop to eat. Mm. Almost everybody raises their hand. And mm. My point is that if you can't even have an awareness of your basic survival needs, How good a job do you think you're doing at assessing your emotional and your mental needs? So if you can get in the habit of asking yourself the question when you're feeling a discomfort of any type of just, what do I want? Mm -hmm. It's a great question to just start to reconnect, but also to begin to have an awareness of, is this pain or is this suffering? Because if what I'm wanting is for nobody to ever die, I'm creating suffering for myself right now. What can I do? How
1: can I get out of this? Experience, yeah. the warriors of the world. I've been there. <laughs> I've, I've been a warrior. Sometimes we'll create the suffering right. because of the focus on trying to prevent what I don't right. want or trying to get what okay. I. Just good advice there.
0: I had one. I'm sorry. I'm just dying to give you just the one example. Jeez. Our whole conversation about
1: pain and suffering and allowing.
0: I think the emotion of anger makes this really obvious because. Most of us have a belief that anger is quote unquote bad and I don't want to be angry and I don't want to feel this, but I love anger because it is such an incredible tool. Mm -hmm. There are definitely times when anger is very obviously inappropriate or wrong or whatever. But what's also true is that if you have been in an experience where you have been victimized or where you are feeling victimized, if you can find your anger, Mm -hmm. anger is such an incredibly motivating emotion, even though it's unpleasant, because it'll move you out of being a victim and more towards Mm -hmm. taking control and responsibility for your life and where you're at. I just think anger is a great emotion to have an awareness of all of our emotions are like that. So part of psychology isn't about don't ever get angry. It's about understanding is this
1: useful to me right now? Is this what I want right now? What do yes. I plan to do about it? At, one of my clients is going through this very thing right now, like literally today. I'm having conversations with her about anger and for her anger meant something very dangerous because she grew up in an abusive environment. So the anger of others was dangerous for her. Shut it off. She shut down her own anger for fear of becoming that. We've been having these exact conversations about how anger is part of your body's alarm system. It's your brain, your psyche's alarm system, and it it helps to make you aware. She ended up staying in an an abusive relationship too long. Was really devastating for her because she couldn't be angry. Right. And not the only reason, but that was definitely a part, part of, it. of what prevented her from being motivated. I call it the body's alarm system. As a, a consultant for business, you've probably heard the layers of the levels of why. Yeah. I tell people to say, okay, ask yourself what you want. Why am I angry? But then, and why is that? Yeah. Deeper you go, the more you're able to really uncover what it is that's right. affecting you. It's empowering. What can you do for yourself? to prevent the suffering like you said
0: it's true of all emotions the same of sadness even victimization when we're in that moment i believe that it has a place as well because if i've been through something really challenging really traumatic that place is a great place to actually seek and receive support from other people and somebody that works with relationships how powerful and how important to our overall well-being relationships are. Even that place of sadness and victimization, it has its own place too in its own time. It's really just about how long do you want to stay there? What's useful to you? And when can we move to a different place that's more comfortable, that is going to be more aligned with our goals? And
1: when has suffering become your comfort zone? It's too scary to move out of that. You have provided so much (laughs) wonderful thoughts for my folks to listen to is there anything else you want to just add yes i'm going to give you
0: two quick ones so the first one is called the joy multiplier technique and joy multiplier is there's four different ways that we engage with people when things are going well And if you can master the joy multiplier technique, which is actually really easy, you will improve all of your relationships, absolutely all of them, because there's really phenomenal research about the way that we predict the success and the intimacy in relationships is not about how people are there for us when things are going poorly. It's what's happening when things are going well. Essentially, can you be there for me when things are great? So I love to just remind people, particularly neurodiverse people, who tend to hear good news or bad news and want to share their own similar experience as a way of relating to others. This is not a useful technique. (laughs) What is useful is if you can keep your ears perked. For somebody sharing a good thing with you, Mm -hmm. what you want to do is give them an opportunity to relive it. So if your husband comes home and says, We won this new contract today, this is not your cue to share the good thing that's happened in your day. Instead, it's your cue to say, Oh my gosh, how did you find out? Mm -hmm. Where were you? Who did you tell? What were you feeling? What did you do? Give them an opportunity to relive the experience of their joyful moment. And what's amazing is it'll bleed over to you. You will start Mm -hmm. feeling more joyful as well. So it's called the joy
1: multiplier technique. I love that concept. I've had clients say to me, what if I'm not interested in any yeah. of that. And I'm like, it doesn't matter because it's if not about you. It's not about you getting that information. It's about giving your partner the opportunity yeah. to share it and relive it. You don't really have to be that interested in
0: it. No, if- I would say, are you interested in them? If that, you were having a relationship with this person, that's, what that's you're- where you focus. In- you're having an interest in them, not in the things, but in yes. them. That's, that's the first perfect. thing. It's for everybody, but I find new diverse people. This is really useful to you. And the other is one of the things that I find in the neurodiverse community is struggling with what is seen as like polite social lies. Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. lot of difficulty with this concept of somebody saying to you, How do you think I look in this dress? Or do I look fat? This is particularly for when somebody is requesting something of you. Like so they're some, requesting the you to
1: give them feedback about something. Yes. Okay. But
0: what they're really doing is asking you to say things like, You look great. A lot of neurodiverse people struggle with that they may get the cue they may mm-hmm. understand what's expected but feel really uncomfortable in mm-hmm. that need to give an answer that they don't believe is true for them and so the advice that i like to give there what i found really useful is if what you are recognizing if you know what they're asking mm-hmm. instead of having to give the polite lie that makes you very mm-hmm. uncomfortable. What you can do instead is speak to what's actually going on that you're recognizing. So if you can imagine somebody comes to you, they're about to go to an interview for a job. They ask you, how do I look? You know the answer you're supposed to give. A great thing to do instead of giving the lie, I think you look great, if that's not what you think. Mm -hmm. A great thing to do is to ask what they really need, which is, hey, do you feel confident? What do you think? You can really focus instead on. I see that you look very confident in this outfit.
1: I totally agree with that, that strategy. Do you think most neurodivergent folks are able to assess what's really happening in that moment? Because I think that's where a lot of my folks are going to go. <laughs> I don't know what's happening though. So, what you do if I don't know what's happening? Because as a neurotypical, I absolutely see it. As a woman, I see it. But my neurodivergent guys, So if you're a guy out
0: there and you're neurodivergent and you find that you keep hurting your wife's feelings, (laughs) and that is totally not your intent, I find it very useful to have a conversation, not in that moment, but to have a conversation later and say, hey, I love you so much. I think you're so gorgeous. I think you're so amazing. And I've noticed that you are asking a particular thing of me and it's not going well. (laughs) Can you help me have some clarity of what I can do to support you here? Help me understand what is the support that you need? Because I'm here. I will give it. I'm just missing the cue of what that support is. What are
1: you really needing from me in those moments? And yeah, even for them to learn how to say, what are you really wanting to know? Do you really want to know if that dress looks okay on you? Most people who ask that are not really wanting to know that.
0: That's why I love that question, because it's such a common one. And I've dealt mainly with women. That's just how it's happened. And I've noticed that because of the intense masking that so many neurodiverse people do is they recognize exactly what's expected. They feel a great deal of discomfort in
1: needing to provide this thing doesn't feel true for them. I totally agree with you about the women. It's a gender difference. And I would say that there are quite a few neurotypical men who also struggle with it. So I think that even comes down more to gender. So I also think that the strategy works both ways, that, that it's important for women to know that when you Or asking something of your partner to really know what you want. It goes back to what do you really want from your partner now? What are you needing support about? Because especially if you have a neurodivergent partner, a, a male partner, right? then you need to know really clearly what you want. Agreed. And the time to set that
0: up isn't when you're needing it it's at a time that's neutral. If you are feeling very frazzled, if you're about to run out the door, you have Mm an interview tomorrow, that is the wrong time to say, hey, I really need your support. I'm Mm -hmm. feeling really not confident about this interview. So I need you to help me feel confident before I head out the door. can't. It's too stressful. It's way too much. Instead, we tend to be in patterns, whether we're neurodiverse or not. So We know the places in our relationships where we wind up in the same little cycle. And so if you want to improve it, have a conversation outside of it. Hey, I really need to get something that's a little bit different from you when I'm doing this. Or if you notice that I'm starting, my shoulders are like at my ears, you know, what's coming up. Can you do this for me? This would really help me if you could do this or I find with men, if you can give them a specific phrase, which sounds crazy. No, it doesn't. They yeah. will deliver. They will yes. tell you exactly what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't diminish the
1: sincerity of it. I think sometimes that people is, struggle with oh, belief. Yeah. It's the yeah. same concept as telling someone what you want for your birthday. Just telling them what matters, especially neurotypical women. Say, well, if I have to tell my partner it doesn't count, right. oh, it it yeah. does what counts is their willingness to follow through, right? It, you may need to spell out some things, but if they're willing to follow through, then it right. absolutely does count. I think a lot of women confuse thoughtfulness with mind reading. And yeah.
0: I think that if you can start mm-hmm. to see the thoughtfulness is caring enough to ask
1: so that I can do perfectly what you're needing really thoughtful. Asking and following through and then sometimes even anticipating what you might need but getting yeah. it wrong because it's literally the thought that counts. And those are all great strategies. So thank you so much for joining me and sharing your world and your thoughts. It's been definitely a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Such a pleasure, Jody. Thanks so much for having me.
1: All right. Take care and maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much to all of my guests of season three of the Your Nor Diverse Relationship podcast. These folks are bringing their lives to you to help all of you out there who are trying to figure out your own relationships. If you'd ever be interested in being on a podcast, just email us at gethelpatjodycarlton.com. Also, be sure to visit me online at jodycarlton.com to see all the resources that I have available to you. Until next time,